0: Larry, did you have any cringeworthy moments in your career, especially early on, that still haunt you? No. Oh, (laughs) okay. You are such a liar. That is just not possible.
1: <laughs> it's embarrassing to look back. You know, when I stepped into being a supervisor, right, of people that I worked with on my team, I just thought, I just don't want to be all those bad things that we saw and all those bosses we hated. And right. I want people to like me. So uh, you were you were over friendly guy? Oh, of course. So it was a complete disaster because people began to know I was going to be the softy. I was going to be the one who said, hey, how's everybody doing? And I'd be concerned yeah. about morale and less so about the work.
0: Yeah. Well, on today's show, we're going to talk to a first-time boss, but I remember that experience for me. Here's what really throws you off. Number one, you don't know what you don't know. Number two, you are filled with the certainty that you know everything.
1: (laughs) Exactly.
0: Number three, while brimming with confidence, you are also plagued with self-doubt. And number four, and all this time, you are trying to make your bosses think— you're just a total natural. I got this. I got this. I got. I this. got this. So the most common advice, of course, is fake it till you make it, right?
1: Right. But the question is, Liz, fake what?
0: From Wondery, this is "I Hate My Boss": workplace drama, comedic relief. I'm Liz Dolan,
1: and I'm Larry Seal. Today's a special episode called "I'm a Boss." Now what? Oh, wow. We're going to hear questions from first-time managers and also the people that are working for them.
0: We're taking a break from pen and pencil, but they'll be back in two weeks. So first up, brand new boss, Megan, is on the phone with us. Megan, you wrote to us and said, this is really a key time in your life. Your show has come at a most serendipitous time for me. (laughs) I'm embarking on my first venture into being a boss. I feel very excited and I feel like I can be a wonderful leader. Okay, first of all, congratulations, Megan. That is exciting.
2: Thank you. Yes, (laughs) I'm very excited.
1: Yeah, congrats and welcome. (laughs) So
0: describe your situation for
2: us. I'm in nonprofit development and fundraising for about seven years. And took time and opportunity to kind of learn a lot about a little bit of everything in the field. And so now I have actually just, I'm two days in to um, being a boss.
0: Oh,
1: wow. Two
2: days? That is so cool. Two days, yeah. So I just finished up my second day and uh, so far I've survived.
1: Zero to ten, how you doing?
2: (laughs) You know, I feel like I'm about a six. All know, right. I'm not running for the hills, and I haven't had to fire anybody. <laughs> good. Um, honestly, when your show first came out, I was starting my search for a new opportunity, and it just so happened that that winded up being a boss. And I started to think about what I would feel like if I turned on your podcast and realized you were talking about me (laughs) (laughs) in one of your horror stories and and wanted to know how to not have that happen.
0: (laughs) That's right. You don't want to be a bad boss. Well, you called the right place, Megan. Before we just start spouting off on our top tips for new bosses, what is your number one fear? What is the thing that freaks you out the most right now at the very beginning?
2: What freaks me out the most is the transition from being a peer to everybody in the office to actually being a boss. And as you always say, setting those boundaries, Mm -hmm. but still being personable and having relationships. Our field is all about relationships. Um, But I fear crossing those boundaries but also setting too strict of boundaries.
0: Well, you put your finger on exactly the experience I had first time I was a boss. I'm yeah. sure you too, Larry well, Liz this...
1: and I are nodding back and forth yeah. across the table as we You we're realize you're you. not
0: really one of the kids anymore. You have to be their leader, but you know, you want to be a nice person. Larry, how do you coach people who are making this transition? Like how does Megan really need to organize her thinking about this?
1: Sure. So, if you're nervous and you're thinking and then double thinking about what you're going to say and how you're going to do stuff, from Frankly, I know that's hard, but you're doing it right. Mm -hmm. You should be thinking about that because you do have to redraw boundaries. You do have to now have conversations that help people not only be clear about the work they're doing, but frankly, you have to give feedback. You have to be able to help them grow and get better. And that's a very different conversation than you probably had as a peer
0: hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I just remember, I'm just thinking back to this time, the transition from these are the people you hang out with at happy hour. So as a result, sometimes there's an instinct to overcompensate to kind of be too much of a boss oh, go be, the other way go the other way yeah. and kind of cut people off i did that once to a friend who like ended up in my department and then after about 6 months she came to me and she said do you realize how much harder you're being on me than oh, everyone wow. else just because i'm your friend and I did need to be called on it. And that was really hard. And that was a real growth thing for me to realize about myself. Miraculously, she and I are still friends, but that almost came to an end right then. So the not overcompensating and withdrawing yourself totally is um, a trap you can fall into.
1: Another trap that new leaders often fall into is they think, well, now I'm in charge. So I'm responsible. My name's on everything. So they over-decide. They over-choose. And, you know, when we were getting ready for this call, Megan we were joking about I don't know you decide that's not a bad approach hey what do you think how would you do it do you want to do it that collaborative nature that is friendly it is collegial it doesn't have to be authoritarian. And, Liz, that's what you mm-hmm. were just saying. Uh, yeah, that's, you don't that's have the to word fall I was that. looking
0: for. Yeah. Are you finding that as an instinct of yours, Megan, and are, you, like, tempted to micromanage or be too authoritarian? Or are you way ahead of Larry and I?
2: To be honest, it's a little bit – a lot is coming at you in the first two days of, of <laughs> yeah, a new job. Yeah. And the executive director there has been wonderful in stepping in in the four months of absence. So right now, there's still that awkward, well, who do we go to? Because technically, we have right. a new boss, but she doesn't know anything that's going on. So at this point in time, I haven't really faced that decision-making of, do you be authoritarian or do you not? But I could definitely see myself falling into that trap.
0: You know, when you mentioned the sort of fire hose that comes at you, a book you might want to read is called The First 90 Days by Michael Watkins. And it's just about how to handle as the title suggests, the first 90 days. Just break (laughs) it down into a plan. You know what you're working on. You might want to peruse that and see if that helps you at least not feel like you're being so overwhelmed. Because at the end of day two, you could be regretting (laughs) a few choices. Yeah, my
2: husband actually asked me that. And I said, no, I don't regret anything. (laughs) That's great.
1: Well, Megan, you're asking the right questions and you're approaching this with a laugh, which is great. It doesn't sound like you're down on yourself for being overwhelmed. It's just absolutely natural. One of the questions that I would suggest you just keep in your mind is you sat in their seat three days ago. So what would you want from your manager when you run into a situation? That's how you can react. Starting to set those the stage, if you will, for how you and I are going to interact. People love it. And by the way, you don't have to have that, all the answers. Set out a couple of things you'd like to do and then ask them what they'd like. You'll probably find a great middle ground. Yeah,
0: right. I like right. That. <laughs> I think one of the big mistakes all new managers make is feeling like you always have to be the smartest person in the room. Do not do that. Really? Do you know the people that work for you know what they're doing? So listen more than you talk and allow everyone to contribute.
2: The other fear that I had was everybody that I will be managing is either my age or younger. And I looked at them and said, in my mind, are they going to respect me because we all are about equal in experience and age here? How do you get people, your age, your your peers, your social peers, yeah. to respect you as a boss.
1: You know, it's funny because when I talk to young managers, new managers, this is often a fear they have, like, will they respect me? Mm-hmm. And Liz, I think you'd probably agree. Once you've been doing this a while, you never think about that question. It's like, look, I'm here. I bring some stuff. You bring some stuff. We're just here trying to do a job. Yeah, right. <laughs> but you worry about it at the beginning. You're there to get work done and you're also managing people. And it is a dual focus and where people get themselves in trouble is they just say, well, look, I'm here to do something, and they drive and drive and drive on the business results, and they ignore the people. It's not going to work. Or they overcompensate the other way. They're everybody's friend. They're not tough with anybody, and then the business suffers. That's true. It's just ask yourself both questions. How do I do the right thing to help people grow and learn and be honest? And how do I achieve the stuff we're getting paid to achieve? Mm -hmm. It sounds simple. It's not.
0: That is really smart, Larry. I agree. Megan, I totally agree with what Larry just told you to do. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's
1: a ditto. (laughs) Megan, you're going to be great.
0: You're going to be great. The fact that you're even asking any of this, I think, really shows both of us that you're going to be great. So good luck. Day two. We hope that day 22 and 202 and 2002 are all very satisfying for you. Thank you so much for calling into the show. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Megan. Let us know how you're doing.
2: I will. Thank you.
0: Now we have a question from The Newbie Soup, a first-time manager who's struggling with two problem employees, Larry. Okay. So The Newbie Soup writes, I finally took the plunge after 20 years and accepted a management position. Mm. I'm in a small group consisting of one manager, one senior supervisor, my peer, and two hourly employees. The two hourly employees, Jack and Jill, have been in this group (laughs) for 20 years. I wonder if they're really named Jack and Jill. That would be great. (laughs) Uh, My manager and the other supervisor have been with this group for five and seven years, respectively. I've been in the group for almost a year. Jack and Jill are very good at their jobs and will always help me out when I have questions. What concerns me is the way they abuse breaks and lunch times. They're allotted two 15-minute breaks and 30 minutes for lunch. But it's not uncommon to combine them into an hour for lunch. Jill abuses this time the most. She comes into work, and the first thing she will do will go to the cafeteria for coffee and a snack. As people come into work, she likes to greet them and discuss various things. At noon, she joins a friend to go out walking for an hour. When she comes back, she'll go to the cafeteria, pick up some food, and come back to her desk to eat it while she works. Jack is good about his lunchtime, but he also stops and talks at great length throughout the day about all kinds of things. I've brought this behavior up with my peer and my manager a few times. They acknowledge they see the same behavior and will shake their heads as if somehow this behavior is beyond their control. I am very frustrated. As a previous hourly, that behavior typically was nipped in the bud by a supervisor saying, Hey, you're abusing your time. Please watch your time management. I feel that if I bring this up again, it will be to my own detriment. How can I thoughtfully manage up and across? Thanks for the help, the newbie soup. Mm. So... (laughs) Here's where you have to fight your instincts, newbie. You're dealing with employees who have not been managed well for a really long time, right? Jack and Jill, they're in the groove, right? You say they're good at the things you need them to do, but they're abusing their time. I know you want to address this because you're an enthusiastic newbie soup, but if nobody else cares, you really need to ask yourself if this is a battle you want to fight. I would love to tell you to take it on. Really. But it could just make you look trivial. Is this one of the first things you want to pick to take on being relatively new in a job? And it hurts me to say this because, of course, you should be able to just go nip it in the bud And you're particularly sensitive to the exploitation because you used to be an hourly employee and you know that hourlies would never get away with this kind of nonsense.
1: Yeah. These sorts of things are very much about context. When you're in an hourly circumstance, the way you work, the way you take your breaks matters a lot more than if you're in a white collar kind of a position, certainly here's the thing. Newbie brought this up to his peer and his boss. He brought it up to the two wrong people. Mm-hmm. Go have the conversation with Jack and Jill. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a confrontational thing. It can, it can be, look, I've been in this kind of a role. Here's the kind of impact that can have. I love the fact that you're friendly. I love the fact that you're helpful. This is problematic. Mm-hmm. That doesn't have to be a big problem. Having said that, If previous management has never taken this on and let this go on and on and on, I actually agree with you. You could look at that and go, you know what? This is a battle. I'm not fighting.
0: This is a total low-reward situation, newbie. The question you should ask yourself is, should this be a priority for you? Would you even put this on the top three things that will make your department function better and will make you more successful? And if the answer is yes, it would, if you really think like getting Jack and Jill on board is, you know, on your top three, do it. But if it's not on your top three, I hate to say let it slide, but focus on the things that are more important.
1: Well, Liz, what tells you it's probably not on the top three is he says it's frustrating. Mm -hmm. It bugs him, but he doesn't say, and it causes this and this and this. If it caused this and this and this, I'll bet it would be on his top three.
0: Mm -hmm. newbie. I'm going to have to quote my mother here. Oh, boy. Elizabeth. Sometimes you just need to rise above your principles. <laughs> and here we have a question from Old Dog in Oregon. Okay, and that's that's Old Dog calls herself Old Dog. I'm not oh, okay. It, okay, I'm not we're not making that up. Old Dog in Oregon who's nervous about taking the next step up the career ladder. She hmm. says, "I'm a late bloomer and I spent my 30s in entry-level jobs because my primary focus was my children." Now in my 40s, I'm more motivated and excited about advancing my career. That is so great to hear. That I love hearing great. that. I have an opportunity for advancement, but I have to present a mock training as the job requires this skill. The problem is that I have a nasty case of stage fright. Uh-huh. Is this something I can overcome? Should I even try? Can an old dog learn new tricks? I love your show. Thank you. Old dog in Oregon. Yes, old old dogs can learn new tricks. They can roll over. (laughs) This is really an exciting time. You need to seize the day. I mean, I think this is the thing that people are most afraid of. Right, Larry? Oh, it's it's on top
1: of every list.
0: And as a result... There's all kinds of training available for it. There, there might be training inside your company. If there isn't, there are organizations like Toastmasters, right? Yep. It meets everywhere. It's You learn how to speak in front of people. It really, yep. in your case, you have to do a training, but it's really just having the confidence to get up in front of people and talk. So that's what you need to practice. And it's such an important thing to do because it's really a key skill, I think, for any kind of advancement in any kind of company in this day and age, don't you find?
1: Yeah, what I love about her story is she did one of the hardest jobs there is, which is stay home and raise kids. Mock training in comparison to that? Please! This should be a piece of cake. This is going to be a piece of cake. But it doesn't feel that way.
0: No, it's terrifying. Right?
1: It's terrifying. I used to get flop sweat so bad, Liz. Every time I had to get up and do a training, I had to remember to wear a white shirt so that the sweat stains that went down to my belt (laughs) didn't show. It was horrible. Yeah. And it's it's confidence, right? It's confidence that you know what you're going to say and that you feel like I'm going to bring something of mm-hmm. value here. Mm-hmm. And Toastmasters and the rest of them, they're about building your confidence in yourself by practicing. Mm-hmm. There is no doubt you can learn this. People learn it all the time. And I would say have more confidence than you've got about what you've already done. You're not a late bloomer. You stepped into a crazy hard role in life and now you've got the guts to step back into the workplace and try and move up, right, uh, right, you're fine. Yes. You are brave old dog. You're a brave old sure. dog. <laughs> good dog. Good dog.
0: You're a good dog. You're good dog. Our next question comes to us from Butterfly. She wants to become a manager, but she's concerned about her communication skills. She says, hi, I took a new job in an entry-level position because there was more room for growth here as I want to be a manager at some point but my main question is that I notice that I have problems being firm sometimes. Mm. By that, I mean I ask nicely about 37 times before I finally get snippy. It's like Mm. I have a switch Mm. that only lets me be too nice or too mean. How can I practice finding that middle ground? Are there blogs or books that you would recommend to help develop this skill?
1: Butterfly, you've got an old belief pattern you've got to get rid of. Somehow you think that being nice is being vague or tentative. It's coming across unclear. That's a red flag, Butterfly. That's on you. Mm -hmm. Declarative, direct is not necessarily mean. It just simply says, hey, I've got a point of view. I'd like to put it out there. You can end that if you'd like with, and I'd very much like to hear what you have to add. Mm-hmm. Right. But some people really do shy away from having a point of view, making something really clear. That It just it feels uncomfortable. to them.
0: Yeah. They think they're being clearer than they are. Like, yep. here's a construction people use. You know, it would be great if you guys could blah, blah, blah. Sort Love. of. Yeah. OK. The if and the grade and the, you need to direct direction to one person and be very clear about what it is. Now, we don't know exactly what you're doing. But we've witnessed that kind of very unclear communication a lot when people are trying to learn how to do this.
1: Yeah, and you can practice learning how to do this. You can find a friend or a colleague and just say, look, what I want to do is I want to get my point across. I want it to be friendly, but I also want to be direct and make sure it's clear. Will you check me on it and then say it and get some feedback? Mm -hmm. Just like we were talking about practicing for a presentation and that builds your confidence, practicing to be clear with people and get your point across, same sort of a thing. I think. The best book I know on communicating effectively and powerfully about something that matters to you is written by a guy named Terry Pierce. And the book is called Leading Out Loud. It is fabulous. And and by the way, it's available uh, on Audible. And if they go on Audible, they can get a 30-day trial membership. They just go to audible.com slash boss. Again, that's audible.com slash boss. And it's Leading Out Loud by Terry Pierce.
0: That sounds great. Butterfly, I think if you listen to that, you could learn a lot and also listen to yourself because sometimes I think when we're giving direction, we're not nearly as clear as we think we are or we're constantly saying things like, I hate to bother you guys or I'm sorry to ask, but firm declarative sentences, just as Larry said, you can do it. Now we have a question from Bethany. She's used to dealing with turnover and management, but her new boss is creating a whole mess of new problems. Bethany writes, I've been with my current employer for over five years. In that time, I've been promoted twice, and I'm now a senior director in a client services team within a sales organization. I've weathered many reorgs, switched functions, and have largely received glowing feedback across the board. I adore my employees and, up until recently, I would have said unequivocally, I love my job. One reoccurring change I've navigated throughout my tenure is many bosses. Mm -hmm. I've had a new boss every year I've worked at the company. In the past, this has not been a problem for me. I like switching things up and finding new solutions, so I generally embrace new leadership and process changes. However, recently, boss number six has come on board (laughs) just a handful of days ago, and I'm feeling differently. Before she came on, I was told I'd continue to be the leader in the day-to-day and she'd be working upward, but this is not how it's played out. New Boss is well-meaning, but very intense to the point of being abrasive. She tends to want to run before she walks and has been pushing her ideas on us before she's learned our products or the history on the accounts we manage. Instead of asking our opinion, she gives her opinion as a directive, meaning we're often put in a defensive position to prevent a proposal that won't service our client's objectives from going out the door. On top of this, we are deeply resource constrained and have been plugging away at an influx of work we're just not staffed to support for a few months before she even arrived. We don't have time to chase tasks that aren't mission-critical, and delicately trying to contain her constant stream of thoughts and ideas is stressing the cognitive load on everyone (laughs) towards a breaking point. (laughs) Don't break the cognitive load! I'm confident this is coming from a well-meaning place. She's effusive with her praise and validation, but that is not translating into day-to-day action. I feel like I have lost my seat at the table strategically, along with ownership of all my work. My employees are feeling the same, and leaders in other departments are echoing our experience. How do I address this? Is there an effective way to discuss this with my boss without creating more problems? We are very close in level and experience, and I'm struggling to navigate the balance of being nearly peers but also subordinate without unleashing more difficulty for myself or making her feel threatened.
1: Hmm. So... Wow, there's a lot here. Do you want to start? Sure. Bethany, you've been promoted a number of times, uh, which is a great sign. You are being really vigilant about your role. And so in that spirit, I'm going to offer a little direct coaching. Um, Your words and descriptions here about this boss sound resentful, hurt, and a bit defensive to my ear. Mm -hmm. Here's where I hear that. Um, I was told I was going to be the leader day to day we were nearly peers she wants to run before she walks Uh, we know our offerings backwards and forwards those may be true but it sounds like you're defending what it is you heard and what it is you wanted right? And it is okay to have expectations if somebody tells you you're going to be in a certain role and then and then the boss right, comes right. in That's and that so shifts. Right, That's so disappointing. It's totally disappointing. But to move through it, you've got to understand remember we were talking about the dust settling? I don't think the dust has settled for her yet. I feel like with
0: the new boss, you mean? Yeah, she's with the still, new boss. Yeah. I feel like yeah.
1: she's feeling resentful and she's going to be able to work it through, but she's got to recognize she's really harboring some of these feelings and that may be projecting on the new boss.
0: Yeah, I hear two main things to add to what Larry said. The first is if she's like in your face and telling everyone what to do, you use the term mission critical. Is there a new way to sit down together and set priorities so that at least you can get her feedback and get her priorities? And if hers are different than what yours have been in the past, well, that's the way of the world. You either need to change or she does. Sometimes micromanagers like this, if you can redirect them into priority setting instead of being in the weeds, that can be helpful. That's
1: an excellent point.
0: But really what I hear, the more important thing is you have less ownership of your work than you had before You felt like you were a leader before. And that is a conversation that is worth having. Once you agree to a new set of priorities, it sets up a conversation you could have with her like, okay, now let's talk about my role within these so that you can kind of take back some of your work, take back some of your responsibility, but under the guise of setting priorities and process with someone who wants to be consulted. And she has the right to ask for that because she's the boss. She does. And you're obviously very experienced at getting along with new bosses. This boss is new on the scene, but just dig in. You have the experience to make this work. And what is going to be most satisfying for you is to know which part of it do you own. That's where you're getting your satisfaction. Yep. So you can figure out a path through that. We believe in you.
1: Good luck. Our next question comes to us from serial job hopper. They're worried that they've dabbled in too many industries instead of hunkering down and becoming a manager in a particular field. So Job Hopper writes. I started my career seven years ago and have since been in five different positions at different companies. And they're all in completely unrelated industries. In the first years I was working, I just didn't know how to make the right decisions when it came to my career. I thought if I wasn't getting what I wanted, I should jump ship. And yes, I was the classic example of the entitled millennial. And I
0: Okay, that's in the letter. Larry did not make that up.
1: Whether or not I was being promoted fast enough, disliking my boss, uncertainties in the position's requirements, difficulties in navigating bureaucracy around the office, or just working in an industry that I wasn't that interested in, I always gave myself a good reason to quit. This constant moving around made me realize that I've stalled my career. I should be in a managerial position at this point, but my lack of experience in one specific industry is holding me back. I'm now in my fifth position in seven years, feeling the same dissatisfaction that I felt in all my last jobs, and I know the right thing to do is to tough this out and stay in this job for the long term. How can I change my perspective and motivate myself instead of expecting the the work itself to be motivating? And what can I do to reach that managerial position that I want?
0: Okay, serial job hopper. First of all, this isn't musical chairs. It's not like the music stops. So now you have to stay in the job you have right now, right? You don't necessarily have to stay in this job long term, but you do need to find a job or industry to stay in longer, right? It could be that two industries ago (laughs) was the industry you should be in. The only way this is really a giant mistake is if you don't learn the lesson of the last seven years. You've Mm. bounced around. So now take a moment. Instead of just saying you're going to stay where you are and hunker down, instead sit down and ask yourself what you've learned about what you really want to do. Five jobs in seven years will only have been wasted if you don't use them to set some real goals now and also to know yourself better. What have they revealed about your strengths and weaknesses? Are there industries that you liked or didn't like? I mean, Larry, I've always felt like, Almost any industry can be interesting if you get in the right job on the right team. I you think know. So. Sometimes I feel like people overfocus on the industry, but that's just me. Can I just say quitting is the easy part? Yeah, <laughs> it really is. It's finding a satisfying path for you that is the hard part. And in my experience, finding a satisfying path often has as much to do with finding my people as it does to finding a particular type of industry. If I'm working with people with whom I have a good working relationship, I can be very happy.
1: I find them stimulating. I find them interesting, right? Yeah, right.
0: You know, for me, lots of businesses are interesting. And I've been in four different industries over the course of my career, but you're not there yet. You need
1: to like Pick your spot. I agree with you. I don't think about industry, although mission, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Right. What they're trying to do in the world, that can be very motivating and it can be very stimulating. Look, I always like to start with the good stuff, right? So you don't have direction yet. That's okay. It comes with being early in your career. I didn't have any clue what I really, really wanted to do until I was in my mid-30s. Really? No, I, it, mm-hmm. I I moved around. I was close, and I got closer each job. But I really didn't know this was the thing until I was about thirty-five, and mm-hmm. then I knew it was working with people in the workplace. And you've realized you were copping out. I gave myself a good reason to quit. It's powerful wording, and there it, are and, always ample reasons. Yep, <laughs> and it's and, and that is easy, and what you weren't doing and what you described is you weren't going towards what you wanted to do. You weren't chasing, this is what I want to learn next. This is what I want to experience next. You were moving away from I don't like this boss. I don't like the bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. This isn't interesting to me. That's a very common thing that people do early in their career. It's kind of like the analogy that I always think of is if you talk to a single friend and you say, hey, you know, if you think about your ideal partner, what do you want? And they start out with, well, I I know I don't want this, and I know I don't want that, and I know I don't want this. I'm pretty... Are you talking about me, Larry? I am. Well. I'm single. <laughs> so let's do it. So if I say Liz, <laughs> if I say Liz, what are you looking for in a partner? What it, What's the first thing that comes out of your mouth?
0: Oh no, it's so obvious. A curious mind and a great sense of humor.
1: Aha! Uh-huh. You're talking about what you want. Mm -hmm. not what you don't want. A lot of people start with, well, I can tell you what I don't want. I don't want somebody who does this. I don't want... They are not ready to get a partner. Okay. When you talk about the thing that you want to move towards, I want this in a partner. I want this in a job. I want to learn this you're going to have a great chance, and it's Mm -hmm. probably the right movement. Okay. The other thing that I would challenge that they said is, I'm not moving ahead because I don't have experience in one industry that's specifically holding me back. To me, it's completely different. They're showing a pattern of choices that scream, I don't know what I want to do, and I'm pretty quick to jump the ship when I don't like things. It Mm -hmm. makes them look unfocused, which, frankly, they were. Great news. It sounds like they're ready to move past that. So it's OK. Learn from it. Heck, you can even own it out loud. But you've got to think about those questions of what do I want to do? What do my people look like? I always use the word at the heart of it. What are you curious about? What do you want to learn more about? What do you want to spend your time around? That can lead you to work that you never thought you'd want to do. And then you start doing it and you're like, oh yeah, this is it.
0: Good luck. You know, I feel like this is really the perfect moment. Do not be too hard on yourself that it's been, you know, seven years. It's okay. Look at Larry and I. We turned out fine.
1: So before we wrap today, we want to remind you that if you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend. You can chat together about all the workplace drama you don't have to endure, and there's a good chance that you've got some stories we'd love to hear. We're at 424-224-5711, or I hate my boss at com. The best stories we'll get rewarded with, the much-coveted I Hate My Boss stress ball.
0: Yay! We know people love them. Okay, our last question comes to us from Dana whose first-time boss was so bad that she's moving on to another opportunity and wants to avoid a similar situation. She says, My current boss is new to managing. He's a micromanager and won't let us turn anything in without meeting a bunch of times and changing everything to match his style and voice. Oh, okay. Ooh. After one woman left the department recently, he showed up in her cube and tried to micromanage her work for her <laughs> new department. Her new boss was not pleased. He's been a manager in the department for a year now and still hasn't learned our roles, but tries to force changes and projects anyway, despite us telling him how counterproductive a lot of these things are. He's useless when it comes to questions because he's never learned our systems. But he's so darn nice. (laughs) Oh, I hate that. He comes across as really thinking he's doing what's best. We've each tried to kind of nudge him into the direction of better managing, but he gets upset. When asked for feedback before reviews, we were brutally honest, but professional, and his response was to sit one girl down and give her a list of reasons why he will never change his managing style, why he is right and we are wrong. So I've submitted applications to other jobs. Knowing from this experience, you can be a really nice person, but a horrible boss. I want to get to know the management style of whoever I'm going to be under. Wise. So how do I go into interviews and ask, are you going to be awful? (laughs) Without, Without actually asking that, what are the warning signs of a bad new boss?
1: So let me, let me take on our last question, which was about screening new bosses. Mm-hmm. That is incredibly smart. You and I have talked about the fact that when you're stepping into a new role, it's got to fit with your goals. It's got to fit with your skills. But boy, the thing that will make or break it is that relationship with that
0: boss. Absolutely.
1: And probably questions like, does everyone hate you? And are you a bad <laughs> boss? Are not going to get you the honesty that you would like. So I think asking questions that give you a sense of how that boss thinks, how they operate, how they prioritize can really help so in an interview, tell me about the success that your group has had recently and see how they talk about it. Are they talking about it? Are they giving others credit? Mm -hmm. Are they proud of others' achievements or are they talking about what they did? Another question might be, tell me what makes for a successful employee here? And listen, you know, if they hear like, do everything I say, submit to my will, probably not a good sign. Mm -hmm. Another question I like for a lot of things is, what are you proudest of in your role over the last year? And listen to what they talk about. Again, If they're focused on others' accomplishments, growing people, giving feedback, and helping them become more successful or watching the team do something, probably a pretty good sign. Mm -hmm. When you're interviewing a potential new boss, they're never going to come out and say, Look, I'm horrible to work for. And if they do, take that as grand warning. (laughs) A lot of times when you maybe not in that first interview, but you get a second interview and you get a chance to be with peers, you should absolutely just ask them directly, What's it like working for this person? But don't listen to their words so much. Watch their body language. Ah. That's going to give you a clue of are the words that are going to come out of my mouth now really true (laughs) or am I just, you know, am I just pasting on a a happy face?
0: Okay, Dana, I want to go back and challenge something you said in your letter. And in our version, it's in bold. But he's so darn nice. Okay, I kind of get what you're driving at. But then you go on to tell us that he doesn't take feedback. He's told people he'll never change his management style. You know what? In a work environment... That's not nice. That's not nice. You know, so maybe he's friendly, but that's not what you need a boss to be. Micromanagement yeah. is such a soul-sucking kind of thing to yeah, be awful. in an environment where your boss doesn't really believe in you. So I'm sorry, Dana. He's not nice. Can I, can I yeah. just say that? Uh, but I have a nice parting gift for him because when you do get an excellent new job, which you're going to get for a great new boss, because Larry just taught you how to do that, a book That I've read, we've talked about it on I Hate My Boss before. I would recommend Daniel Pink's book, Drive. That's great. And you should read it too. It's really about what motivates people. And Daniel Pink breaks it down into three main things in any job. And those three things are mastery, autonomy, and purpose. So, what you're trying to leave is an environment where your boss is certainly not giving you mastery, certainly not giving you autonomy. And as a result, you have no purpose. So I say you wrap this up with a big, beautiful bow. And on your last day of work, you give this to your boss just as a way (laughs) of sort of encouraging. Maybe your colleagues can't convince him to manage any differently. But maybe this will open his mind a little bit. So we've heard a lot about new bosses today, Larry. Yes, we have. And according to everyone, new bosses are insecure, clueless, (laughs) and fearful. And I would say yes, Yes and yes. yes I mean based on the experience We both had When yep. we were new bosses yep. Yeah yeah. you're insecure You know You have that fire hose feeling You're clueless You don't know the systems And you're fearful Because you think you're a fraud And you think Everyone else is going to Figure out you're a fraud So yeah. yes yes and yes Well
1: especially If you're coming from the group We heard a bit about yeah. that Right like you're, you were a peer And now you're stepping in To be a boss And you could look at that Very ungenerously And say oh well They just think they're better And they earned this yeah. They're probably scared to death thinking, oh my God, nobody respects me.
0: And I've just lost all my friends.
1: Exactly. Mm -hmm. Look, they're new. They're struggling to cut them some slack. They're going to make mistakes. Have a little patience.
0: Mm -hmm. So if you're the new boss and you're all freaked out and you just want to boss people around because they told you you're the boss, (laughs) I I think our key advice here is just take a breath. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to be everywhere. You don't have to do everything. When in doubt, Ask great questions and listen to the answers. Absolutely. That would be my parting advice.
1: Absolutely. Just engage people. Hey, what do you think the priorities are here? How do you think we had to solve this? How else could we do that? What and if then that ultimately, you
0: need to decide, right? That's right? You get to decide, but that's, you don't have to think it all up yourself. That's it.
1: Asking questions doesn't defer the authority, it just brings people in. It's a great default. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, fake it till you make it. <laughs>
0: But now we know what you're faking. You're faking knowledge,
1: confidence, leadership, having a clue. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, people, I've said it before and I'll say it again. We want to hear more of your crazy work stories. So please send them to us voicemail or email. We are at 424 224 5711 or I hate my boss at wondery.com. We'll be featuring them. In our favorite segment, You Can't Make This Up.
1: We also want to know what you think of the show, so please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Go to our show page, click Reviews, and then write a review. If you're not in the mood for writing, that's fine. You can just give us five stars. This episode was hosted by me, Larry Seal, CEO and founder of Engaged Leadership, and Liz Dolan boss emeritus and satellite sister the original theme song was composed by martin blanco audio engineering by misha stanton special consultant julia smith produced by cameron kell executive producer jeffrey glazer created and executive produced by hernan lopez for wondering remember workplaces can feel crazy
0: but you don't have to